0: So we have been in the book of Samuel uh, looking at the stories that shape God's people. The stories that shape God's people. Uh, So much of the Bible, remember, are stories. Historical narrative, a description of what God's people have done in the past and oftentimes how badly they've messed up. (laughs) Sometimes we see examples of those who have been faithful, but God is revealing himself. Through his people, through his word. You know, uh, oftentimes people wonder, what does God think? What does God think about a given situation? When God sees all that's happening here on the earth, is God happy with what's going on or is he upset, right? Or what does God think about my plan for my life? (laughs) What does God think about the direction I'm heading? Well, here's the good news. Uh, You don't have to constantly guess what God is thinking. God speaks. In fact, that's fundamental to our faith as Christians, that we have a God who speaks. He wants to be known. He wants us to listen and to hear him. Can you imagine if I spent all day wondering what Jess, my wife, thinks about a given subject, but I never asked her, (laughs) I never said, Jess, what do you think about what's going on on this whatever issue? Uh, I think we oftentimes do the same with God. What does God think? And yet, friends, if we just turn to his word, it's clear about most things. And certainly there are principles that are timeless through it all. God's word is for God's people. I'm going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, last week we looked at Eli and his two sons, Hoth and Phineas. for those who are here with us or watching online. Uh, probably a passage you weren't overly familiar with. Today maybe a passage that, for those who grew up, at least in the church, you have heard before, or at least part of this, uh, Samuel's sort of statement to God to speak, Lord, your servant is listening. But this is 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to cover the entire chapter, so 1 to 21, and we'll have it on the screen. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh, the word of the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the study, the preaching, the application of his word this morning. Just as an outline of where we're going, first we're going to look at the first verse and then the last part of this chapter that we're called to recognize, called to recognize his word. 2 to 14, we're called to listen to his word. And then 15 to 18, we're called to witness. We're called to witness to his word. We learn in the very beginning, the sort of major transition in the book of Samuel and Israel's history, in a sense, happens during this chapter. The boy, Samuel, is ministering to the Lord. So he opens the doors of the temple in the morning. Again, maybe he helps people guide their sacrifices into the right place. Maybe he's responsible for sweeping the floor, whatever. He's doing everything he can as a boy, ministering there in Shiloh, where the ark of God is and where the tabernacle was, which was a symbol of the very presence of God. And in verse 1, the author of Samuel notes that the word of the Lord was rare. Now, of course, they had the Torah. They had the first five books of the Bible. So he's not saying they had no access to the word of God. What he's saying is there were very few prophets. God sustained his people throughout most of Israel's history through a prophetic word. And there had been silence. Nothing much happening. It was a dark time in the history of Israel. We see that by Eli, who's sort of the only sort of semi-faithful priest there is, already starting to lose his eyesight and growing very old. I think there's even some sort of foreshadowing when we, see, we hear that the lamp of God had almost gone out. So literally the lamp of God had almost gone out because it was late into the night. But I think it also shows again that Israel has almost fallen back into darkness. But then we skip to the end of this chapter and it's radically changed. Now you have a man, Samuel, who is a prophet of the Lord, and God is speaking through him. The Lord is with him. Uh, It says that none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, God, God is raising up a new prophet, and his word is being respected and heard throughout all of the land. In fact, it says from Dan to Beersheba. That just basically means from north to south, the farthest north city you could find, the farthest south city. So all of Israel. You know, like when we say the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, right? All of the, all of the country. That God has established a prophet. The Lord has appeared in Shiloh. Hope is not lost. All that happens here from the beginning of the chapter to the end. God speaks. By the way, this again, this is essential to the Christian faith. We believe not only that there is a God, but that this God speaks he's not silent he's not unknown if God wanted to be unknown we would not know him we can't study God under a, a microscope like we study biology right God is the superior we are the inferior if he did not want to reveal himself he would be completely unknown to us What we find is the exact opposite. God wants to be known. He's constantly revealing himself to us. He speaks to us through his creation. Uh, Creation is stunningly beautiful. This is probably my favorite uh, picture I took over this last summer in sabbatical. This is somewhere out there in Yellowstone. And uh, as I was uh, traveling sort of the old west, so uh, Montana, Wyoming, South Dakota, by the way, my favorite part of the entire country with the possible exception of New England. I do love New England, right? But so stunningly beautiful. One of the things that struck me when I was out there was, it's not just like a a, a sort of flippant thing we say, wow, look how beautiful it is. God is revealing something through the artistry of his creation that we are accountable for. And if we miss it, we will be responsible to him. The heavens are speaking the glory of God and we are meant to hear it and there is danger in ignoring it. But that's only part of God speaking. Of course, more than that, he condescends to us and speaks in human language. And I think this is where a lot of people may have a problem. A lot of people might say, I believe there's a God. In fact, most people throughout history, throughout the world, believe there is at least a God or some type of divine being. Right? Atheism is actually a very, very rare uh, belief system. And most people would say that God is the creator and he makes a very beautiful creation. But does he reveal himself in human words? You might say, well, what language does God speak? Right? (laughs) God speaks whatever language we can receive it in. So to the Hebrews, he spoke in Hebrew. To the Greeks, in Greek. And so forth. But he reveals himself perhaps more specifically and particularly in a way that we can understand and grasp in his word. And perhaps maybe this is even why we were given language to begin with. is so that we might know God. Throughout Israel's history we see that through the prophets. We see it written in the Torah. It's a more specific, more clear revelation of who God is and what he calls us to than simply in creation. Before we move on, though, let's just recognize his word. Recognize his word. The Bible is his word. That's not something we need to make apology for. (laughs) That's not something we need to defend, in a sense. I like what Spurgeon said. Uh, Somebody asked him about defending the Bible, and he says, you don't have to defend a lion. (laughs) All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. I mean, God's word has outlived ages and civilizations and generations and has stood the test of time. Don't worry about defending it. Just recognize it is the word of God. Christians throughout all ages have held to it as the scriptures. They've lived and they've died holding on to this book as his word. They've translated it and been martyred for it and held to it. I know we like to debate Questions about its authority, is it infallible, is it inerrant? Is this part literal, is this part symbolic? What about these parts that seem to contradict and how did the canon of scripture come together? And, and those are all good questions and we should work through them, but just start by recognizing its inspiration. And in fact, this is what I would say, the best thing you can do is get someone to read it. <laughs> kind of like Spurgeon said, it's a lion, just start reading it and then you'll see its inspiration for itself we could have debates all day long but if someone would just read the gospel of john start there and listen and see if indeed this is the word of god but we're called to do more than just recognize it to be the word we're called to listen to it which is where the bulk of this chapter is about in 2 to 14 uh we see that eli is losing his sight And he's sleeping. Uh, He's going to bed nearby. And Samuel is the one, sort of, as a young boy, called to watch over the ark. So he literally sleeps there in the temple, the tabernacle area, near the ark. And again, it says the lamp had not yet gone out, but it's late into the evening. The lamp of God, which lights up the temple, is starting to go out. So late, late into the night. And Samuel hears a call his name in the middle of the night here, and he runs to Eli and says, what do you want? In fact, it happens three times, sort of building the story, building the anticipation. Um, By the way, you you might think Eli's, I mean, uh, Samuel is a little dull here as a kid, but I think the idea is that Samuel would never even think to disobey Eli. So if he hears his name Samuel, he's not going to ignore it. I mean, he's just going to, Eli's like a grandfather to him, a spiritual sort of father or grandfather to him. Each time he runs to him, and actually the one that's a little dull here is probably Eli. It takes him four times before he finally says, Okay, Samuel, this could be the Lord speaking to you. And gives him this beautiful advice. He says, next time you hear it, simply say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Fourth time, Samuel goes back to lay down, and he hears the name Samuel. Samuel. Uh, That repeating of the name, we see that a few times in the Old Testament scriptures. Moses, Moses, Jacob, Jacob. When God calls a special prophet, sometimes he does that repetition of the name. And Samuel responds, as Eli told him, Speak, for your servant is listening. And God gives him a word of judgment against Eli. A hard word. By the way, this certainly speaks about how God how God reveals himself how does God speak so here we do see an audible voice from heaven uh, a conscious waking audible voice Uh, God does do that at times I think it's fair to say that's pretty rare (laughs) so my guess my uh, suggestion my advice to you as a pastor is uh, don't expect to necessarily hear God speak to you in an, an awaking audible voice but we do see that at times in scripture we see it in Jesus' life when Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration with his disciples, he, they, they hear a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. You see throughout the Old Testament, by the way, there isn't a sort of single way in which God speaks. God uses visions at times. God uses dreams, and we'll see that actually through the book of Samuel. God uses sort of the, the Holy Spirit's inner witness to us, sort of guiding us, clarifying, calling us to what his will is. And we see that, by the way, when you read the scriptures, Amos, the prophet, sounds like Amos. <laughs> he uses agricultural imagery because he was a farmer. When you see John, John writes like John and Paul writes, writes like Paul. So God doesn't over, uh, go over the personalities of a person. He leads them by his spirit. They write as who they are. But ultimately, it's the Lord speaking through them. I think we have to say, too, as Christians, that inspiration happens at the time of writing. Or else, what's the point, right? If God only spoke through the prophet when he verbally, orally spoke, uh, it wouldn't be any good for us. But Jesus actually hints towards this. The Holy Spirit will bring to mind all that was said, speaking to his apostles. So we have in our hands something inspired by the Spirit that's authoritative for the church. I think we can learn a little bit about listening. Again, uh, advice, my advice would be uh, don't wait for the audible voice. I have spoken to people who say I've heard an audible voice <laughs> that God was speaking. Um, I don't doubt that. Certainly don't put any limits on God. All right. So I've never heard an audible voice from heaven speaking to me. It's never happened in my life. But I don't necessarily doubt that you have, if that is your own experience. And yes, sometimes God uses visions and dreams. And most certainly He gives us a sense of his will and what he's calling us to through his Holy Spirit. But let me say this. God speaks most clearly, most consistently, most commonly by his word. Written, taught, and proclaimed to the church. If we sit there and say, you know what, I I wish I could hear from God. And uh, I I wish I knew God's will. And we sit there with our Bibles closed. (laughs) Uh, Open the Bible and you will hear from God. And what is our attitude when we receive his word? Same as that of Samuel. Speak, Lord. For your servant is listening. I want to hear from you. I'm ready to receive it. Open my eyes, open my ears. Pray for those spiritual eyes and ears, that open-mindedness, a heart that's ready to receive his word and get in this book daily. Next, we see that Samuel, not only is he called to listen and to hear this message, but pretty much right away, he's called to witness to it. And this is the hard part for a young boy, Samuel. We're called to share it. He lays there until morning. And I think it probably says he lays there because he's not sleeping. (laughs) The the message is weighing heavy on his mind and his heart. He's afraid to go and have to tell Eli what he just heard. It's a hard word. It's a word of judgment. I like what Joyce Baldwin says, uh, a commentator. Uh, She writes, Already Samuel is learning that his words will not always be easy either for him to speak or his hearers to receive. But he will continue to deliver God's message without fear of the consequences and so establish God's rule in the land. God is already training him, even as a young boy. You speak my word, even if it's a hard message. Likely, Eli knows that this is not going to be good. (laughs) Uh, He knows he's in disobedience. He knows he lets his son sort of run amok of the temple. In fact, Eli makes it nice and simple. Makes it nice and easy for Samuel. Tell me everything that he said. Don't hide it. In fact, he kind of puts the curse on Samuel. He says, if everything you don't tell me, let it fall upon you. (laughs) So he sets him up ready to receive it. And Samuel, as a young boy, does what we so often struggle to do sometimes. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't compromise. He doesn't wimp out. You can imagine his fear that Eli would be mad at him. That he would lose favor with his grandfather here in the faith. That Eli might say, who are you to tell me what God has to say? I'm the high priest. But he knows he needs to do what the Lord has called him to do. And Eli, to his credit, responds, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Friends, we hear, we see here, friends, a a calling to be clear about the witness of the word. You know, the Bible, of course, its primary message is good news. In fact, it's really good news. It's it's the best news you could ever hear. The best news in the world. The best news this world will ever hear. (laughs) It's the the greatest news ever. You can know God. God. And be reconciled in relationship to him. Your sins are wiped clean. You are adopted adopted as his son or daughter. And you are his for all eternity. (laughs) There is no better message on this planet than that. But preceding that news is bad news. Outside of Christ we are sinners. Not all we do is good. And there is a judge in heaven who will hold us to account. And we will not stand well before him in eternity. Friends, if the Bible only told us what we want to hear, I think we would rightfully suspect, be suspect <laughs> that it's really just man's word to man, right? Human's word to human would be useless for us. But God's word condemns us in our sin and speaks clearly of God's righteous wrath there is a hell and there is damnation and the world needs to hear the message that saves which is that Jesus is Lord and then he calls us (laughs) to witness this message to speak about it friends first of all let's say let, let the word challenge you Let's start there. Before we say we're responsible to proclaim even the hard parts of Scripture to the world, uh, let it challenge you. Uh, understand that if the if the Bible, if you're not letting the Bible challenge you, if you're saying, "Well, I, that's a part of Scripture I don't agree with," so I don't, I just ignore it. And I, and that's a part of Scripture I like because it sounds good to me, and I sort of hold to that. It's not God you're believing, but yourself. Tim Keller says, "Only if your God can say things that upset you will you know you have a real God." And not just a creation of your own imagination. So true. The Bible doesn't, isn't going to agree with our natural inclinations to a lot of issues like sexuality, for example. Yes, it goes countercultural, And you have to ask yourself, do, do I believe what the spirit of the day and the age is telling me? Or do I believe God on this? The Bible calls us to generosity. Radical giving do I trust God in that or do I trust my own sort of personal accounting Bible says that Jesus is the way and the only way to the Father and no one comes to him but no one comes to the Father except through him do I trust him do I believe him in this are you willing to be challenged by the scriptures yourself and then friends are we willing to share this message Uh, be winsome Of course, be wise. You you don't, when we say you you share the whole counsel of God, that doesn't mean you stuff meat down a a spiritual baby's mouth, okay? The Bible talks about milk and meat. And, And you don't say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus... And the doctrines of grace and predestination, right now, right? You don't start there. Let's, you don't say, you're a new Christian, we're going to talk about super lapsarianism now, right? I mean, you know, some of you guys said, what is even that, right? So you, you start basic and clear, but you don't hide the hard parts of Scripture. Famous, um, well known TV preacher said, I like to emphasize the positive aspects of the Bible, I don't like to make my message about sin. I thought, well, you don't have that choice, brother. <laughs> you don't have that choice. You are a herald of the message of Scripture. And we're called to go and witness to it. And that includes the bad news as the base, but the good news, which is the best news we could ever hear. And friends, that burden to share that message, to make sure it's known and heard, has characterized the Christian faith For two thousand years, you know the the Puritans. You know, you guys. Anyone that knows me knows I love the Puritans, the Pilgrims. Um, They they sort of started the modern missionary movement. They did it by their love of the American Indian and their desire to reach them. Of course, this failure is certainly involved there too. Uh, but David Brainerd was one early missionary to the American Indian, and he, uh, one female American Indian convert writes this about him. Brainerd loved his Heavenly Father so much that he was willing to endure hardships, traveling over mountains, suffering hunger, and lying on the ground, that he might do our people good. One early missionary, John Elliott, he was called the Apostle to the Indians here, served as a missionary to the American Indians through language studies and great tragedies until he was an old man and he prayed over his work at the end of his life, Lord, grant it, may live when I am dead. May my witness continue. I love this. This is the first some of the first missionaries to Hawaii. right? Wouldn't that be great? So you're called to be a missionary and God says, where I want you to go is this beautiful tropical island in the middle of the Pacific, right? Such a rad call. But this is what he says. We gazed upon the verdant hills this is in his journal in deep ravines the habitations of the islanders streams cascades trees and vestiges of volcanic agency moving along the shore immortal beings purchased with the redeeming blood friends when we receive the word we're called to then share it By the way, this is one of the beauties of how the modern missionary movement is working in places like Africa. You know that most of Africa is being reached by Africans, (laughs) not by Westerners coming there. Uh, This is Tien, an African theologian. He says, African Christians developed a vision for mission beyond the borders of their locations almost as soon as they became Christians themselves. Uh, Imagine that. You become a Christian and immediately think, my job is to now share this to make other people Christians. (laughs) Only if we would think similarly as that, right? Friends, and I would say this in our witness, yes, there is that bad news, but always, always, always get to Jesus. Don't miss the best part. (laughs) You know, if your witness to someone is, don't do this, don't do that, Believe there's a God. He's a beautiful creator. But you never get to Jesus Christ. The Savior who has come to us to redeem us. You've missed it. You've missed it. That's the heart of the message. There is salvation. But it's in no one else but his son Jesus. Friends, God's word is for God's people. We recognize it. We listen to it speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And then we witness to it. We share it. God has not left himself without a witness. Christianity, our faith, is about revelation. God revealed himself. He does it through the beauty and the splendor and the grandeur of his creation. He does it Through his son, the word made flesh who dwelt among us. And he does it ongoing through the scripture. We as Christians believe that human beings didn't just sit around a campfire near a cave. And decide, this sounds good. Let's come up with a book. (laughs) God is speaking boldly and clearly. And he calls us to recognize it, to listen to it to witness to it. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for the truth of the scriptures this morning. Help us to, to recognize your word, to receive it. And help us to witness to it. Lord, we thank you so much that your word, oh yes, it most certainly does proclaim truths that are hard for our ears to hear. That it is appointed once for each man to die and then the judgment. That there is eternal accountability for our lives. But thank you so much, Lord, that the message doesn't end there. There is grace. And you have shown it to us eminently, clearly, powerfully in the person of your Son. You did not leave us alone and abandoned in our sin. But you gave us a Savior. More than that, Lord, you gave us the Savior. You gave us your Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us. And we corporately together here place and proclaim our faith in Jesus. We do that through the receiving of the Word. and We do that through our celebration of communion. By this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And Lord, we rejoice in the hope of eternal life. We will be with you forever. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening.